This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. In the fall of 1933, NBC writer Willis Cooper conceived the idea of Lights Out, a midnight mystery serial to catch the attention of listeners at the witching hour. Now, the idea was to offer listeners a dramatic program late at night and at a time when the competition was mostly airing music. After a successful tryout in New York City, the series was picked up by NBC in April of 1935 and broadcast nationally, usually late at night and always on Wednesdays. Cooper stayed in the program till June of 1936 when another Chicago writer, Arch Obler, took over. And by the time Cooper left, the series had inspired about 600 fan clubs. Cooper's run was characterized by grisly stories spiked with dark tongue-in-cheek humor. A character might be buried, eaten, or skinned alive, or vaporized in a ladle of white-hot steel, have his arm torn off by a robot, or forced to endure torture, beating, or decapitation, always with the appropriate blood-curdling acting and sound effects. Though there have been efforts at horror on radio before, there does not seem to have been anything quite like uh, as explicit or outrageous as this provided by Cooper on Lights Out. And when the program switched to the national network, a decision was made to tone down the gore and emphasize tamer fantasy and ghost stories. In the mid-1940s, Cooper's decades-old scripts were used for three brief summertime revivals of Lights Out. The reviving, uh, surviving recordings reveal that Cooper was experimenting with both stream-of-consciousness and first-person narration a few years before these techniques were popularized in American radio drama. From early 1934 to 1950, 1936, Cooper produced close to 120 scripts for Lights Out. Now, the show benefited tremendously from Chicago's considerable pool of creative talent. The sound effects technicians frequently had to perform numerous experiments to achieve the desired noises. This is true. Uh, Cooper once had them build a gallows and wasn't satisfied until one of the sound men personally dropped through the trap. When Cooper departed, his replacement, a young, eccentric, and ambitious Arch Obler, picked up where he left off. And tonight's episode is entitled Poltergeist. Ironized Yeast presents Lights Out, Everybody. It is later than you think. This is Arch Obler bringing you another in our series of stories of the unusual. 
And once again, we caution you. These lights-out stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. But if you're fascinated by the mysterious, the fantastic, the unearthly, then anticipate chills in our story of Poltergeist. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, <laughs> that was swell. Now let's go to town. St. Louis woman with her diamond ring. Kicking that man oh, around. No. no, stop that, Kay. What's the matter? Am I scaring the horse? What? Seems like a sacrilege singing a song like that out here. This beautiful, clean snow and blue sky. Well, what's wrong with a hot song to keep us warm? If you think the St. Louis blues is going to dirty up the snow, you ought to hear Frankie and Johnny the way I sing it. Oh, stop it, Kay. You're not funny at all. Why can't you enjoy the fresh air without that cabaret sort of thing? Oh, just an old-fashioned gal, eh, Florence? How about you, Edna? Don't you like my songs either? You haven't said anything for the last five minutes. Well, I... I haven't been listening to you to tell the truth. I love to watch the snow sort of flow along under the sleigh. When you say that, gal, smile. Gosh, did you ever see more snow in your life? The man at the hotel said it had been snowing on and off up here for two weeks. I think coming out here to the country is the best thing we three have done since we started rooming together. Hiking in the snow is terribly healthy. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. The healthier I get, the worse I feel. <laughs> Crazy idiot. She does say the funniest things, doesn't she? I always say that Kay ought to... Hallelujah, we're here. Is this as far as we go, driver? That's right, miss. Can't go no further down this road account of the drift. Oh, my goodness. The drifts are too deep for a horse. How can we walk through them? I second the motion. Well, you young ladies don't have to worry none so long as you keep going down the valley over there. Snow ain't piled up that way all the way to Ma Jenkins. Oh, well, that's marvelous. Come on, girls. Let's get started. So long. Take care of yourselves, girls. Come on, Edna. Goodbye, Miss Hill. Listen to the snow talking at us. It's very dry snow. Our feet rub particles of it together, and the friction makes a sound. It's kind of scary, Mm. isn't it? Why? Well, I don't know. just Mm. as if the snow was sort of trying to talk to Mm. us. I mean, as if it was angry at our trespassing. Hey, don't tell me we're trespassing. I don't want any country squire taking any pot shots at my uh, constitutional amendment with rock salt. No, thank you. Oh, don't talk nonsense, Kay. We're not trespassing. Why, this path through the valley here over to Mrs. Jenkins' house is the favorite hike of everyone who comes up this way during the winter. What's Mrs. Jenkins got anyway that makes people walk their feet off? (laughs) Wait till you taste her cooking. Eat. Oh, boy, let's go. It's awfully quiet out here, isn't it? Oh, that's the glory of it. I've had the roar of the subway in my ears so long. Okay, don't walk so fast. Come on, look what I found. Oh, come on, Edna. Oh, please, let me take your arm. I'm getting out of breath. Well, take it easy. There's no hurry. (sighs) Well, what is it, Kay? Look, through the circle of trees here. Look what I discovered. Well, isn't that interesting? It's a sort of a natural amphitheater. Sure. Say, who was this guy, Daniel Boone? What's an amphitheater? Well, that, that means an oval circling place with rising tiers of seats. It's, 
You know, like that place we went to for the horse show. Oh. Back in the times of the Greeks, they had outdoor theaters. Listen to the professor. They made use of places just like this, where the ground sloped up and made a sort of a natural arena or stage below. Theater! That's an idea. Sit down, gals, and I'll give you a special performance of the K Follies. It's awful snowy here, isn't it? I'll trample it down with my spring dance. Welcome, sweet spring. <laughs> she is not dancing in the snow. If I had that girl's energy. She's really graceful, isn't she? I'll bet if she went on the stage, she could... Kay! She fell. Kay! Kay, did you hurt yourself? Oh, did I land on my dignity. Here, give me a hand. Here, I'll help you. There you are. Oh, did I take a flop. Did you hurt yourself badly? I'll live. What in the world did I trip over? Oh, no wonder. Look at that rock under the snow. No wonder I did a nosedive. Oh, my gee. goodness. There are rocks like that all over. Oh. A person could break their neck if they... Girls. What's the matter? What is it? Kay, the rock you tripped over. It... It's not a rock. What are you talking about? Of course it's a rock. Well, yes, but it's something... Something more than that. It's a tombstone. <laughs> tombstone? Oh, no, it, it can't be. Look it... for yourself. It says... Here lies buried the remains of one who, restless in life... Stop! Don't read anymore. Stop! And and all these other stones laying flat on the ground. They're tombstones, too? Yes. Whew! What a place to pick to dance. <gasps> What's the matter, Edna? What did you scream for? Hey, you, you danced on the grave. What? You danced on the grave. I saw you. I saw you do it. You danced on the grave. Okay. Edna, stop it. Stop it. What's come into her? Edna, stop acting like that. Edna, stop for heaven's sake. Control yourself. Okay. Okay, I'm so sorry for you. You danced on a grave. For heaven's sake, stop talking like that. Sure, I danced on a grave. Yes, of course she did. It was perfectly accidental. And what if it was? What of it? The poltergeist. The what? Edna Hanson, what are you talking about? What's that word you just used? Poltergeist. Okay, what have you done? You superstitious little fool. If you don't stop talking that way, I'm going to slap your face. What's the matter with you? I didn't do anything. You walked on the grave. You danced on the grave. So Edna, what? be sensible. We all walked on graves, but it was purely accidental. Yeah. We had no intention of desecrating them. It doesn't matter, I tell you. It doesn't matter. The poltergeist, he'll come. I know he will. Oh, what's the use? She's crazy. Edna, what are you talking about? What's the poltergeist? What are you so frightened about? My father, he told me... If you walk on a grave, if you dance on a grave, the poltergeist. Poltergeist what? What is a poltergeist? An evil spirit. It comes out of the grave. It kills. It destroys. It'll kill us. It'll kill us all. Stop it. It throws things oh, out. Oh, please. Yep. Lay off that. Will you? Let But it won't get me. I'll run Edna, away. come back I'll here. She's gone insane. I'll get her. Edna. Okay, catch her. Edna. Edna, don't run away. Nothing will hurt you. Nothing. Oh, Edna, look out. Hey. <laughs> hey, what happened? That stone. It hit Edna. Edna. Edna, open your eyes. Blood. Blood all over her face. Kay, who threw that stone? Who threw it? I don't know. It came from the graveyard. Now, girls, take it easy. Take it easy. Oh, doctor, she won't die. Tell me she won't die. No, no, of course not. And you're sure that her skull isn't fractured? Oh, absolutely not. Maybe a little concussion, that's all. Well, 
It's almost five. Our train. Can we get someone to help us carry her down to the station so we can get her on board? Board? I'm telling you that little friend of yours shouldn't be moved out of bed for a week. If you do, well, it might be just too bad. Oh, Flo, what'll we do? You go home, Kate. I'll stay with her. Oh, no, you won't. I'm not leaving you here alone in this godforsaken place. If you stay, I stay too. Kay, please be sensible. Why should we all lose our jobs when you... If can you'll go... excuse me, you ladies, I've got to be on my way. Oh, yes, of course, Doctor. Is there anything more you can do for Edna, Doctor? Any medicine or something? Nope, I've done all I can do. She's sleeping comfortable now. Uh, miss? Yes, Doctor? The constable's sick too, you know, and he's sort of depending on me to keep things straight. Now, uh, just how did you say that little friend of yours got hurt? Well, it was just the way we explained, Doctor. That rock came flying and... Yes, yes, I know, but who threw the rock? We... we don't know. What? That's true, Doctor. We don't know. But somebody threw it. You can't change facts. Somebody threw the rock that cracked her head. For heaven's sakes, old man, you don't think we did it. No, miss, I didn't. Excited. Doctor, you've got to believe us. It happened just the way we said all at once, that rock came flying through the air from the direction of the graveyard. It struck Edna, and, and we just didn't see who threw it. All right, if that's your story. Well, you better stay in your rooms here. I mean, you better not be leaving until the constable's on his feet and has a chance to talk with you. I'll be back in a few hours and see how the girl is. He doesn't believe us. What difference does it make? We know what we saw. But what did we see? She was running. She she fell. Kay, well, let's not fool ourselves. There was no one there to throw that rock. There must have been. But there wasn't. Stop saying that! Aren't you brave enough to face facts? There wasn't any place for anyone to hide. I saw that stone. It seemed to come down out of the air. So slowly. Florence, if you don't stop talking like you that... You remember what... What Edna said? It throws things. Stop looking at me like that. You're giving me the jitters. She said the poltergeist throws things. Spirit of evil. Florence, Rob, have you gone crazy too? Why should we laugh at things like that? What right have we got to laugh? How do we know there aren't powers we can't see or understand? Powers of evil that revenge and insult just like an evil man... Kay, how do we know? What are you talking like that for? What are you trying to scare me for? You, you're supposed to be the most intelligent one of us all. You with your college degrees. Sure, sure, I danced on the grave. But the dead are dead and they can't revenge a thing. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of anything. I tell you, it's not... What? It's Edna. Come on. Edna, we're coming to you. Don't be afraid. We're coming. Open the door, Florence. It's not locked. Duck, it won't Here, let me. Edna, what is it? I run a decent place, and I don't want you... <gasps> oh. The girl on the bed. 
her head. It's crushed flat in by a rock. God in heaven. It's not a rock. It's a tombstone. I wish I could cry, but I haven't got any more tears. Oh, Edna. Edna. Florence, darling, please. You'll kill yourself if you keep on like that. Oh, this horrible night would only end. It was my fault. Mine. I was the one who got her out here. She didn't want to go. She hates the country. But I made her come. I made her. No. No, you're not the one to blame. I am. I danced on the grave. But she was so good. So sweet. Oh, why does it have to be Edna? Why? You're right. It wasn't right for it to be her, was it? Oh, no. I did it, not her. I did it. I danced on the grave. I danced on the grave. You can't deny what you see with your own eyes. But I tell you, Doc, nobody could have carried that tombstone up the steps without me seeing him, could they? But there it is, ain't it? Yeah. There it is. Either somebody's playing a terrible joke, You don't have to say it, Doc. I know. That's just the trouble. You don't know, and I don't know, and nobody knows. Yeah. And and that tombstone. Well, what about the tombstone? I I ain't quite sure, but that's a tombstone out of the old burying grounds up at the bend. You're crazy. No, I ain't either. Well, that place is a good three miles from here. Yeah. I know. Who could have carted a heavy stone like that for three miles? Yeah. Who? Stop looking like that, you flap-eared old fool. Human hands carried that stone in here and killed that girl? Sure. Yeah, the constable will find out who did it the minute he's on his feet again. You wait and see. No, he won't, Doc. You're smarter than me and all that, but oh, this time you're wrong. There ain't nobody that takes in breath and leaves out breath like you and me, and the constable's going to find out who killed that girl. You know that, Doc. No, stop. I wish the constable was here and this night was over. It's been a terrible night. Terrible. Terrible clock. Ticking. Ticking. Yeah, I know. I've been sitting here listening to it. I can't stand it anymore. I'll stop it. Why bother with it? Come on to bed, Kay. Please. There's no use sitting there. It won't help her. Yeah. Nothing can help her. But maybe I can help you. Me? It was my fault. Mine. I was the reason it happened. It killed her and it'll kill you and me too unless I stop. No, don't say that. It's true. But why should you be hurt? I'm to blame, not you. 
Listen, Flo. I'll go out there. There? Out there to the graveyard. What? I'll talk to her. I'll, I'll tell her I didn't mean to do it. No. That I didn't know where I was dancing. Maybe somehow it'll hear. Listen to me. And, and then it won't hurt oh, you. Oh, no, no. I won't let you go out there. It'll kill but you. Florence. It'll kill you, too. But Florence. No, no. I'll hold you. You can't go. You can't. All right. Come on to bed, Kay, please. In the morning, in the morning, things will be different. But it won't. Nothing will hurt us. And then they're right outside the door. They won't let anything get at us. Hey, please come to bed. Yeah. We'll, we'll pray. Pray? I... I don't exactly know how. Just say anything. Anything. Like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now you. If I should... Die before I wake. I pray the Lord my soul to take. Kay? Kay, are you asleep? I can't sleep anymore. Kay, tomorrow, I mean, when it gets light and everything. Do you think people will believe us? Do you think so, Kay? I'm not quite sure what happened. I always used to be so sure about things. And now I... Kay? Kay, where are you? Kay, where... The window. She went out the window. She's gone out there. To the graveyard. To talk to it. Okay, why did you go? Why did you go? I'll go out there, too. Well, she'll be so frightened out there alone. I'll go, too. I'll go, too. Oh, so cold. Hands. Snow so sharp. Cutting my legs. Oh, why did you go out there, Kay? Why did you? I've got to find you. Wind. Oh, why doesn't the wind stop? Blow, blow, thou winter wind. Thou art not so unkind as... Yes, 
I hear you. I hear you. I'm coming, darling. I'm coming to help. I'm coming to help you. I'm coming. I'm coming. I hear you. I hear you calling my name. I hear you. Yes. Yes, I hear you. I hear you. Where are you? Where are you? No! This way, Hooper. They must have come this way. Uh, climbing out the window like that in the middle of the night. They must have gone crazy, the both of them. Well, let's not worry about that now. We've got to find them. Here, give me that lantern. What is it, Doc? What have you found? A shoe. One of the girl's shoes. My gosh, stuck in the snow. We're going the right way. Come on, move fast. We've got to get to them. Doc, look at this. What is it? Over there. Ain't these footprints? Yes. Yes, that's right. Footprints. Hello, up ahead. Hello. Doc, we're, we're getting pretty close to the old burying grounds. Well? Maybe. Oh, look here, Doc. Let's not be fools. Let's wait till morning. What? Let those frightened girls freeze to death? Get along. But, Doc, I... You come uh, with me or the whole town will know what a yellow-livered no-good you are. All right. All right. You don't have to get so sore, Doc. Hello? Hello? Anybody up there? Hello? Doc. Doc, look. What? There they are. Up ahead. Glory be, they're alive. The both of them. Come on. Doc. Doc, look at them. That's the burying ground up there. And they're dancing. Dancing on the graves. What? They must be out of their heads. Come on. We've got to stop. Doc. Doc, wait for me. Oh, Doc, it's... It's Doc again. Where are they, Doc? Where are the girls? Have they... Have they stopped dancing? Yes. They've stopped dancing. Did... Did they ever dance? What are you talking about, Doc? We saw them. We saw them dancing in this place with our own eyes. Did we? moonlight. Here it comes again. See with your eyes again. <gasps> oh, no. Both of the girls froze stiff to the ground. Each with her head crushed by a tombstone. Mr. Obler, 
Would you mind telling us, me, whether there actually are such things as poltergeists? All I can tell you is this. There are authenticated records in existence that, in the city of London on the 27th day of April, 1872, from four in the afternoon on a Thursday until half past eleven at night, a certain room in a certain house was deluged by stones thrown from no apparent source. The London police surrounded the house, but they found no trace of whoever or whatever was throwing those stones with a murderous violence. I, uh, I see. So much for poltergeist. But what about next week? Well, anything can happen, but uh, specifically next week, Mangara, a strange title and a strange story. The power of suggestion. The dictators have shown us to what evil purposes that power can be used. Well, next week, a man who, uh, <laughs> but that, as usual, is next week. Yes. Lights Out, written and directed by Arch Obler, will come to you again next Tuesday at the same time. Be sure to listen for the amazing story of Mungara. It is later than you think. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly. One of the most popular and enduring radio series of all time, it ran as a standalone feature from 1935 to 1956. The title characters were created and portrayed by Jim and Marion Jordan, a real-life husband and wife team that had been working in radio since the 1920s. Fibber McGee and Molly followed the adventures of a working-class couple, the habitual storyteller Fibber McGee and his sometimes terse but always loving wife Molly living among their numerous neighbors and acquaintances in the community of Wistful Vista. As with most radio comedies of the era, Fibber McGee and Molly featured an announcer, house band, and vocal quartet for interludes. Tonight, we're going to hear about Fibber becoming a songwriter. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with songs by the King's Men and music by Billy Mills. The show opens with Swonderful. probably going to have more gardens in this country than ever before. You'll soon see many of your neighbors working out in their yards, taking care of young carrots and cabbages and beets. Of course, it's a good idea. It helps the individual family save, and it helps the country conserve. But what has gardening got to do with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat? Well, I'll tell you. First, if your linoleum floors are protected with glow coat, you'll save hours of time during the year, and that time you can very profitably use in your vegetable patch. Glow coat needs no rubbing or buffing. Self-polishing, you just apply and let dry. Second, when you come in from working in the garden, your feet just might be a little dirty. But if your kitchen floor is protected with glow coat, you won't worry a bit. 
Slowcoat guards the floor against wear, and soiled places are cleaned in a jiffy with a damp cloth. I hope I've made it clear that people with gardens should all use Johnson's self-polishing glow coat on their floors. Fibber McGee is writing a song. (laughs) That's all, brother. (laughs) Now meet Fibber McGee and Molly. Well, how you doing, dearie? Great. I feel just like Stephen Foster. Only he didn't have a typewriter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that may make you even with Stephen, but I'll bet Foster was faster. (laughs) What's the name of your corny little cadenza? (laughs) It ain't corny, and it's got a wonderful title. The Defense Stamp Stomp. Oh. (laughs) That ain't cooking with gas. I'll eat it raw. (laughs) Not bad. Not bad at all. Are you going to write the music, too? Nah. Billy Mills offered to do it, and I didn't want to hurt his feelings. Well, uh, why don't you get somebody else to do the words, too, and save my feelings? (laughs) Frankly, I'm kind of leery of your lyrics. Uh, Don't worry. I got a wonderful start. Though I got to fix up the verse some more yet. Well, how does it go? Well, it ain't exactly right yet, but I'm on the track. So far, it goes something like this. There's a long, long trail of winding. Wait it, a minute. Huh? Wait a minute. That's been used. It has? Sure. You mean somebody swiped this already? No, no. That's a song from the last war. You remember that. Say, it did sound kind of familiar at that. Sure. Oh, well, I'll throw it out. I got plenty of ideas. How about this? Wait a minute, McGee. Huh? On second thought, I don't like your title, The Defense Stamp Stomp. Why, that's the best part of it. Why, I know, but I read in the paper where they're going to start calling them war bonds. We're going to stop defending and start fighting. Oh, all right. So we change the title to the War Stamp Stomp. <laughs> that gets that old fighting spirit into it. As it is, I think it's kind of offensive anyway. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, it is. In fact, I think it's one of the most offensive songs I ever heard. <laughs> Gee, do you really? Yes, I do. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you ain't just saying that because you admire me. No. No, I'm not. I really think it's a very offensive song. Of course, I may not be so hot at popular songs. I'd probably be better at serious stuff. Matter of fact, I've been mauling over in my mind a ballad called Ballad for Americans. It'd, it'd be great for somebody like, like Paul Robeson. Well, there is a song by that name, and Paul Robeson does sing it. Doggone it, that's always the way it is. Here I get these ideas, and just because I'm too busy to write them down at that particular minute, somebody always comes along... Hey, you better hide that song for a minute, McGee. This may be Gilbert and Sullivan. (laughs) Who? Gilbert and Sullivan. I heard of Sullivan. He's an old-time prizefighter. But who's Gilbert? Well, he wrote the Mikado. He did? Why, the dirty traitor. Just wait till I get... Now, now. Calm yourself, McGee. It's only Mayor Latrivia. Oh, come in, Latrivia. Hello, Mr. Mayor. Good day, Mr. McGee. Hello, McGee. Hi, city father. What's all the bother? 
<laughs> when, uh, when I was over here for dinner the other evening, McGee, I lost my Phi Beta Kappa key. Uh, did you find it by any chance? No. No, we didn't find any keys, Mr. Mayor. Did you lose your whole key ring or just the one key? Uh, just my Phi Beta Kappa key, Mrs. McGee. Oh. It was pinned on my vest. Pinned on your vest? That's a heck of a way to carry a key, Latrivia. How do you carry your money? Tied into a corner of your hanky? <laughs> Please, McGee, let's be sensible. A Phi Beta key is usually pinned on the vest. Well, uh, what was it a key to, Mr. Mayor? It wasn't a key to anything, Mrs. McGee. It was the visible symbol of my membership in the honorary scholastic fraternity, Phi Beta Kappa. Oh, a key to the frat house. <laughs> I didn't get it at first, Latrivia. I thought maybe... Apparently, McGee, you still don't get it. This key has no utilitarian purpose whatsoever. Well, then what good is it? For that matter, what good is that American Legion button your husband is wearing? What do you mean, what good is it, you big lint head? It shows I belong to the Legion. You think I wore it just to keep the wind from blowing through the buttonhole? Uh-huh, you see, the Legion button indicates your membership in the Legion. My Phi Beta Kappa key indicates my membership in Phi Beta Kappa. Is that plain enough, or shall I spell it for you? Understand, dearie? Sure. He means he can't get into the Five Better Capsule Clubhouse without using his key. <laughs> they give all the members a key, and when they unlock the door... This they... key does not unlock any doors. Can't you get that fact through your Neanderthal noggin? <laughs> my what? Never mind. But, uh, please keep an eye out for my key, if you will. It's a small pin about a half an inch in diameter. Oh, you mean that's no. what the pin looks like that was on the key? That is the key. The key is a pin. Maybe you better make Latrivia a cup of hot tea, Molly. I don't want a cup of tea. I just want to find my tea. I mean, my hot tea. No, I don't either. Now, I mean, now, now, hot... now, let's not all get excited, Mr. Mayor. I'm sure that we'll find your little pin with the key still on it, and when we do... But, Mrs. McGee, there is no key. It's just a pin. They just call it a key. Well, if you got to unpin it every time you want to unlock the clubhouse door... The clubhouse hasn't any doors. There isn't any clubhouse. The key doesn't unlock anything because it isn't the key. It's a pin. I just wear it. Why? Because I belong to Phi Beta Kappa. Well, then why don't they give you a little button that says so? Because the symbol of membership... Never mind. <laughs> I'm going to turn in my resignation today. I'm going to join the Elks. Boy, is he dumb. You know, he wouldn't be if he'd spent more time studying in college instead of running around with those sorority fellas. Mm. Well, I got to get back to my song. Now, let me see. Look, McGee, I've got an idea. What? Mr. Wimple is a poet. Say, why don't you get him to help you with the words to your song? Oh, that's a great thought, Molly. Come on, let's go. I'll get Billy Mills to write the music and Wimple to write the words. What'll you do? What'll I do? It's my title, ain't it? Come on, let's go. Over to Mills. Then we'll...
it's a lovely spring day, isn't it, dearie? Now, aren't you glad I made you walk? No. I still think we should have hitched up Lillian to the sulky and drove over to Billy's house. <laughs> no. No, it was too soon after Lillian's lunch. She was taking her nap. <laughs> All that nag does is eat and sleep. Besides, she's getting too fat, Molly. She's not fat. She's just filling out. Hmm, maybe so. But she's the first horse I ever saw with a double chin. Oh, look, McGee. Here comes Abigail Luffington. Correction. Lillian is the second horse I ever saw with a double chin. <laughs> now, listen, Abigail hasn't got a double chin, McGee. She's just got a loose neck. <laughs> loose neck and a tight fist. She's the most... Oh, hello, Abigail, darling. So nice to see you. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mr. McGee. Hi, Effie. Say, we don't often see you walking, Abigail. Where's your limousine? Oh, I'm economizing on tires, my dear. Ah, good for you. You, I always was a great walker myself. Why, when I was a kid, I used to walk nine miles to school every day. Go on. It was only three miles, McGee. I know, but they always sent me back home for my arithmetic book. <laughs> that made three trips. Well, what did a future songwriter like you want to waste his time on arithmetic for anyway? Well, that's what I always tried to tell my teacher, Miss Fiditch. I says, Miss Fiditch, I says... Songwriter. Oh, you dear boy. Don't tell me you've added songwriting to your other accomplishments. What other accomplishments? <laughs> <laughs> Name three, Abigail. Okay, okay. Scoff, if you want to. Deride. But you'll change your mind when you hear my song played on every radio station in the country. And maybe even one or two in the city. <laughs> <laughs> McGee's writing a song called The War Stamp Stomp, Abigail. Oh, how splendid, and what a thrilling title. Yeah. Oh, I do hope it will be a success, Mr. McGee. Although, uh... Although what? Well, I, I just can't help remembering what a disappointment my nephew had. He was a musician, too. What happened to him? Lose a button off his bolero? <laughs> no. No, he wrote a little thing which even now is played on hundreds of radio stations every day. And the poor lad never collected a dollar. Oh, what kind of a song is it, Abigail? Well, the name of it is Bong, Bong, Bong. Bong, Bong, Bong. That's cute. How does the music go? Oh, it goes like this. A bong, a bong, a bong. <laughs> Days, did your nephew write that? Oh, indeed he did. <laughs> oh, well, I, I must be getting along. So you decided to walk and save your tires, eh, Abby? Oh, yes, yes. I walk all the way down to the Bondan department store nearly every day. Oh, and all the way back, too? <laughs> oh, no, no, that would be too much, I'm afraid. <laughs> so my chauffeur meets me with a car and drives me home. <laughs> I just know you're destined to be another Rinsky coffee cup. Uh, goodbye. Rinsky, what a chic. What's the matter, McGee? What are you muttering about? You heard what that old moose said, didn't you? <laughs> Said I was going to be a Ripsky Korskakoff. Well? Well, what is a Ripsky Korskakoff? Well, I think they're a couple of songwriters. <laughs> they can't amount to much. You never hear any of their stuff in the job boxes. <laughs> Besides, I can't. Oh, hello there, folks. Where are you going? Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Hi, Harlow. We're on our way over to Billy Mills' house. I hope he's home. Oh, he is. I saw his galoshes on the front porch. Oh, well, how do you know they were Billy's? He had them on. <laughs> You going over there for dinner? No, I'm writing a song, Harlow. Billy's doing the score. Well, what kind of a song is it? Popular? Very. At least with McGee. <laughs> he calls it the War Stamp Stomp, Mr. Wilcox. Yeah, is that a title or ain't it, Harlow? Or maybe you aren't any judge. Sure, I'm a judge. I'm a composer myself, in a way. Oh, really, Mr. Wilcox? What songs have you written? Oh, nothing very famous, I guess, Molly. But I did one I rather liked. It goes, 
Now is the time to protect and preserve the things you own and cut expenses to the bone. Ooh, cute lyrics. Johnson's Wax on your floors, furniture, woodwork, windowsills, lampshades will not only preserve and protect, but beautify as well. It's swell. Cuts housework to a minimum and saves you time and work. I'd be a jerk if I didn't tell you to use Johnson's Wax and take a rest. It's the best. And on your kitchen floor, use Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat. Just make a note. It's so easy. Looks so pleasy. Pour it out and spread it around. Let it dry and I'll be bound. Your linoleum looks like new. What a view. Oh, boy. What a joy. Floy, floy. Moy, moy. Oh, here, here. We have the idea, Mr. Yeah. Wilcox. We got an idea of the words, Harlow. Now, how about the tune? Oh, I don't need one. Just say Johnson's Wax to a housewife. That's music to her ears. Good luck, pal. What a songwriter. Old Jerome Corn himself. <laughs> Another Minsky Corsicar. <laughs> say, isn't this Billy Mills' house, McGee? Huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, come on. Hi, Skimp. Hello, Mom. Come on in. Hi. This is an unexpected pleasure. Well, I thought you knew we were coming. Well, I knew February was coming. I didn't know you were, Mom. Makes it a pleasure. Park your hat, Pat. Let me take the sable, Mabel. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you're really jiving this afternoon, Billy. Yes, I'm sending, Skimp. How's everything? Just fine, Billy. How's my pal, Uncle Dennis? Oh, same as ever. Yes, huh? Too bad. You know, we've been trying to give him some good advice, but he wouldn't take it. What advice, Mom? She told him he ought to give up the little brown jugs till we lick those little yellow mugs. <laughs> Uncle Dennis. Well, he'd make a great air raid, Warden. Out all night anyway. Now, listen, you never mind, Uncle Dennis. Did you write some music for McGee, Billy? Well, I'm working on it, Mom. Got the manuscript right here. Oh, so... How's it look to you, dearie? Now, let me study it a minute, Mom. I mean, Molly. <laughs> you seem kind of doubtful about the opening chord, Billy. What you mean? You've got a question mark in front of it. That's a treble clef. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Treble clef. <laughs> See this thing here, Molly? Yeah. Treble clef. <laughs> Wonderful thing to have in a song, too. Some of our best music has got treble clefts in it. Don't tell me. What'll they think of next? Is this finished, Billy? No, I had a little difficulty about the piano. Difficulty? Yes, man from the finance company. <laughs> I hurt my hand, too. How? Slugged a guy. Who? Man from the finance company. <laughs> well, that's tough, Billy. But when, when do you think you can finish it? I kind of promised the manager of the radio station he could have it at 6 o'clock tonight. I'll have it done, Skimp. How about the lyrics? Well, Mr. Wimple is going to do the lyrics, Mr. Mills. Yeah, and when he gets the words done and you finish the music, Billy, I got a hunch that this is going to be the best song I ever wrote. (laughs) Hey, that reminds me, I better call Wimple and see how he's getting along. Where's your phone, Billy? Uh, You see that brown cord on the floor over there? Yeah. Well, follow that. There's a lamp on the end of it. Try the black cord. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind tracing it down with you. Here's the phone right here. Let me take it. Thanks. Hello, operator. Give me Wistful Vista 72. Oh, is that you, Mert? No. How's every little thing, Mert? Is, eh? What's that, Mert? Your brother? 
Shot it out with the cops, eh? Oh, heavenly days, McGee. What happened? Mert's baby needed a bottle of milk in the middle of the night, and she called her brother at the creamery, and he shot it out with the cops. <laughs> What's that, Mert? Oh, you have. Oh, thanks. <clears throat> Hello, is this Wallace Wimple? Hey, what's the matter, Wimp? You got a cold? Your voice is deeper than usual. Huh? Huh? Oh, oh excuse me, Mrs. Wimple. <laughs> May I speak to Wallace? Thanks. Wimple started the lyrics yet, Mom? Uh, yes, McGee called him earlier today, and he said... Is that you, Wimple? This is McGee. Yeah, look. Billy Mills is nearly finished with the music. Suppose you get them words done and meet me at the radio station about 545. <laughs> The King's Men sing Lanigan's Shillelagh. His name was Timothy Lanigan, he came from County Clark. Twas on the 17th of March he landed in New York. The crowds were down to meet the boat, there wasn't room to stand. Sure, there was Timothy Lanigan, a looking mighty grand. Oh, he carried his old shillelagh in his hand. Yes, he carried it all the way from Ireland. As he raised his old coffin and sang the wedding of the green, sure he carried his old shillelagh in his hand. Says he, I've got a job to do, I'm on the trail now of the guy who threw the overalls in Mrs. Murphy's chow. And if I ever find him, there will be an awful row. So he carries me old shillelagh in my hand. And all over the USA, the people all got out of his way. He carried his old shillelagh in his hand One day while Timothy Lanigan was leaving his hotel He heard a step behind him and a voice he knew so well He whirled around to take a look and there upon the stoop Was the man who threw the overalls in Mrs. Murphy's soup And he carried a big shillelagh in his hand In his hand, yes, he carried a big shillelagh in his hand And they circled all about Through the afternoon they battled And they still were feeling stout But when the moon began to rise They knocked each other out And they fell with their shillelaghs in their hand Oh, they both woke up together And they called the fight a draw And Timothy discovered he'd been fighting with his paw Said Lanigan the senior I'll confess it to you now I'm the mink who threw the overalls And Mrs. Murphy's chow So, oh, oh, oh They carried their old shillelaghs in their hand And the last we heard They're back in Ireland And they're looking for a brawl Any time or place at all For they carried their old shillelaghs Mr. Wimple, you'd meet him, McGee. Uh, right here at the reception desk. Uh, hey, Bud. Uh, yes, sir? I-, I got an appointment to meet a guy here in a few minutes. Do so you mind if we hang around? Oh, not at all, sir. Uh, would you care to see a broadcast while you wait? Oh, my, it might be fun, McGee. What's on now, sir? Well, in five minutes, we have Uncle Bunny and his CP time tales. And uh, then at 6.30, a news broadcast by Herman Sherman, the commentator who sees all, knows all, and guesses very badly. <laughs> and then at 6.45... Yeah, skip the schedule, bud. Skip the schedule. Thanks, anyway, but I don't think we got time. To... Oh, here he comes. Hey, Wimp! Here we are. Hello, Mr. Wimple. Hello, folks. <laughs> How'd you get 
along with my song, Wimp. Oh, quite well, Mr. McGee, considering. Considering what, Mr. Wimple? Well, I had her stop every now and then and help Sweetie Face. She was practicing the shot put for the police games next month. Hmm. Practicing the shot put? How could you help her do that? (laughs) She didn't want to get the floor all dented up, so I had to stand across the room and catch the shot when she threw it. (laughs) My goodness, the woman is a human cannon. I'd like to send her away to General MacArthur. <laughs> or somebody. Well, uh, did you get the song done, Mr. Wimple? Yes, I did, Mrs. McGee. When I got started on the lyrics, Sweetie Face thought I was a regular cold party. Hmm. She did, eh? I guess so. Anyway, she kept me running down to the cellar for more coal for the fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear your words for the song, Mr. Wimple. All righty. <clears throat> The war stamp stamp. Boy, what a title. Here's the chorus. Dig down deep into your rampers. Lay it on the line, you stampers. For the right, for right is might. Get into it. Don't be tight. And stamp, stamp. The war stamp stamp. Well, that's very good, Mr. Wimple. That's terrific, Wimple. Much obliged. Now, the second chorus goes... Oh, there's men behind the men behind the guns to lick the Jappies and the ITs and the Huns. So when now, you... hold it, and... Wimp, hold it. That's great. Much obliged. Now, you wait out here and I'll let you know what happens. Come on, Molly. Where, McGee? I got to show this song to the manager. Uh, hey, bud, is Mr. Strokes in his office? Uh, just a moment, sir. I'll see. Yes, sir, he is. Uh, whom shall I say wants to see him, sir? Uh, Fibber McGee, the songwriter. Tell him it's about that song I wrote that I spoke to him about over the phone. Yes, sir. Uh, extension 867J, please. Mr. Strokes? Uh, there's a Mr. McGee here who says... Oh, sir? Well, he's uh, short and heavy set, and... Uh, sir? Oh, but he says he's already spoken to you about... Sir? No, but... He, uh, sir? Oh, I'm sorry, sir, but I already told him you were in, and he... Sir? Oh, yes, sir. Uh, you may go in, Mr. McGee. Mr. Strode said he was very anxious to see you. Third door to your left. Thanks very much. Hot dog. What did I tell you, Molly? These guys are hungry for new talent. Yeah, that's what the missionary said when the cannibals put the kettle on. <laughs> I bet they offer me a job on the staff here. Maybe head of the music department. They are... Oh, here we are. Hi, Strozzi, old man. I'm McGee, the songwriter. This is my wife, Molly. How do you do, I'm sure. Good day. McGee, somebody called me earlier today and said that you were the author of the greatest song ever written. Uh, that was me, Chief. Uh, now, look. <laughs> Here's the song. I call it The War Stamp Stomp. Now, just look it over. The War Stamp Stomp. Isn't that a wonderful title? It certainly is. It's an inspiration. That's what it is, Strokes. Just popped into my head one morning and I says to myself, boy, is that a title. Then I get Now, wait a minute, McGee. Hmm? Do you ever listen to station M-E-O-W? Oh, say he listens every night. Yeah, that's why I come to you. My favorite radio station. Now, look, Strokes, you publish this on a royalty basis and I'll... What's that? Publish it. Why, you little pirate. Huh? Why, what's the matter? We've been featuring a song called The War Stamp Stomp over this station for two weeks. You've been... Oh, oh, that's where I heard it.
nearly every home has a few things finished with chromium. If you think of your own home for a moment, you'll remember those towel bars and perhaps other fixtures in the bathroom and kitchen. Possibly some chromium chairs or tables, not to forget the trim on your automobile. You know, of course, that chromium is scarce at present and should be protected. But do you know the easy, inexpensive way to protect it? Yes, with that same genuine Johnson's Wax you use to protect and beautify your floors, furniture, and woodwork. Apply Johnson's Wax, either paste, liquid, or cream, the same as you do on wood surfaces. The wax forms a protective shield that guards the chromium against the corrosive action of weather and fingerprints, also against minor scratches. You'll notice, too, how the wax finish adds a soft beauty to the metal itself. Now, before another day passes, protect all chromium surfaces in your home with genuine Johnson's Wax. Sorry about your song, McGee. I really thought you had something there. Yeah, me too. I still think my song was better than the one they've been playing. It had more zing, more patriotic oomph. Yes, sir. And I'll bet if you ever published it and everybody started singing it, it would be an awful pain in the neck to Berlin. Berlin, Germany? No, Berlin, Irving. Oh. <laughs> Good night. Good night, all. <laughs> This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Lone Ranger, followed by The Bickersons. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.